Support for Faith on Trial and Iowa Catholic Radio provided in part by Imogene Ingredients. Our freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. It's time to hear from the top Christian litigators in the nation who have come forward to tell us the truth and help us defend our faith. Hear ye, hear ye. All rise. Faith on Trial with Defender of the Faith, Deacon Mike Mano is in session. And welcome once again to Faith on Trial. I'm Deacon Mike Mano, your host, and I'm sitting here in our main studio in West Des Moines with the lovely and talented Gina Knoll, who well, is our co-host. Well, thank you, Deacon Mike. Certainly. Appreciate I'm that I'm buttering you up for something. Glad you know, to yeah. be here today. <laughs> yes, you, we did a good job of getting a couple of uh, guests on our program today. I'm looking forward to uh, the, what they have going on, because things always percolate. That's right. Why don't you tell us about who they are? Well, we have Matt Lamb, who is the assistant editor for the College Fix. Now, the College Fix is an organization that helps train college journalists, give them a portfolio. It's a place for them to publish, yes. uh, On uh, more of a, uh, say, a little right of center background. Yes. Right. And uh, and then we're going to have Arthur Schopper, who is from Mass Resistance, on various victories they've had. Now, mass resistance is all over the country. They have local offices uh, and groups everywhere. And it it turns out they have some overseas, too, because they have some victories overseas. So we're going to find out from Martha what mass resistance is doing and maybe how you might be able to contact with them. And I have to tell you, every time we have mass resistance on our program, I have a bit of a PTSD because the very first time we had them, I think we were in, I don't know how many, it might have been in our introductory year. and Yeah, it's been you, a long time because right, we've had them on, off and on for many years. You brought them to my attention with a story about uh, um, drag queen story hours. I mean, and this was, this had to be over six or seven years ago. And when I read that story, I just about fell over. I thought, who in the world thought this was a good idea? And um uh, so whenever we have them, that is the first thing that comes to mind, that my horrified revelation that this is a thing. And they don't take that stuff laying down. No, and they it's react. still going on, but they do a really good job of of defeating it in communities. So yeah, they, they I'll react. be interested to see what uh, Arthur has to share with us today. Well, we'll hear from him in just a few minutes. Do you have a prayer to open us up with? I do. I have a prayer for peace today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. God of peace, Bring your peace into our violent world. Peace in the hearts of all men and women and peace among the nations of this earth. Turn to your way of love those whose hearts and minds are consumed with hatred. Strengthen us all in hope and give us the wisdom and courage to work tirelessly for a world where true peace and love reign among the nations and in the hearts of all. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Gina. And stay tuned here. We're going to take a short break and we will be right back with Matt Lamb from the College Fix. And we're back. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. And right now we have with us our old friend Matt Lamb uh, from the College Fix, who is the uh, what, associate editor of the uh, uh, College Fix. Is that your title? Yes. Thanks for having me back on. Certainly. Certainly. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you. 
Uh, you wrote an interesting uh, article, and I saw it appeared in LifeSite News, so uh, you've got a little gig on the side, it looks like. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, two, <laughs> two young kids. My wife stays at home, so, you know, got to... Yeah, you got to yeah. feed them someone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, but anyway, it's a story about a uh, uh, a school board president who was sworn into office, not on a Bible or the Quran or anything, but on a stack of pornography. You want to explain how this all happened? Sure. So Karen Smith um, was already on the school board for Central Bucks, which is in Pennsylvania. And she had a stack of books um, that included a book called Flamer, which I'll just say it's an explicit book. I don't need to go into all the details. It, it, it's something that you would not read um, at your, you know, your Christmas party, let's say. Um, not fit for church. Instead of putting your hand on, on the Bible or, you know, the, the state constitution, we can maybe think of a few a, a more appropriate um, items. She put it, her hand on top of Flamer, along with these other sexually explicit books. And what I would say is maybe even adding to the offensiveness is she also included the book Night by Holocaust survivor Eli Wazow. I'm sorry, I don't know exactly how to say his name. Um, you know, because her defending these books, I, I suppose she's comparing herself to, you know, to him and, and how he spoke out against, you know, the, the atrocities of, of the Holocaust, um, which is which is terribly, uh, terribly offensive. I mean, I, I'm Catholic, but I would imagine if you're Jewish, I imagine most people would find it quite offensive to compare yourself to him because you think it's okay for seven-year-old boys to read about sex in school. Yeah, I don't get the connection there, but uh, uh, it certainly is odd. Yeah, and she said, so this is from her campaign campaign website, she said, banning books and supportive symbols is wrong and does nothing to address real issues our district is facing, like learning loss, teacher staff shortages, and lack of mental health support. What's interesting is she never actually read this book, Flamer. I've never read it, but I'll just take other people's reporting for it. Um, you know, a bit of moral theology, right? If you think something might be offensive or, or might be an occasion of sin, it's probably best just to avoid it. Um, but she's saying, well, kids need to be able to read these books, but yet she hasn't even read the book herself. So how is she going to tell other people that this definitely should be in school libraries and in the classroom? Yeah, and I think this idea that we're banning books is really a misnomer. I don't think anybody's banning a book. I think when they're talking about these things, they're talking about age appropriateness for the certain materials in certain schools. Absolutely. There was, um, I, I think this was, I saw this the other day, that Barnes & Noble, they had a banned book display. Well, how do you sell books <laughs> that are banned, right? Unless yeah. I guess you have sort of like underground copy of it. Um, and exactly, there was actually someone um, who was a former member of the American Library Association's Intellectual Freedom Committee who said, you know, some of these books I would not put in the kids' section of libraries. And so some of these books, it's not even that they're taking them out, which I might I think they really should be taken out. They're just saying, you know, this isn't really appropriate for an 8-year-old. Maybe right. this book's better for a high schooler who's maybe had more lessons, right, more, more, more sex ed classes. Um, has maybe a better grasp on it, their parents may be more prepared to talk to them about these these different topics. But anytime you move a book, you know, they're they're gonna call you a book banner and, and I guess Karen Smith wants you to know that she doesn't support any limits on any books being in the library. Uh, now was that her campaign pledge when she was running for office? 
Right. So she was running for re-election, and her the, the other candidates that were supporting their agenda, um, partially on the basis, as you as you alluded to, of pushing back against um, parents and other concerned citizens from this group called Woke PA that have been circulating this list of books that they said were inappropriate for kids, including this book, Flamer. And I, I believe that's where she got some of these other books uh, that she, she swore into office on from, um, from this, 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 this list of books that they had labeled as inappropriate. I mean, the other thing I'll add about that is that, you know, these are parents that are saying these books are inappropriate for kids. If other parents believe they're appropriate, they're not stopping them from buying them. I and mean, you can still you could still check them out. I remember Stephen King said something about, well, if your school bans this book, you should just go down to the local bookstore and buy it. Well, it hasn't really been banned then, right? And, mm-hmm. and it kind of maybe proves the point of, right, the I- school can decide this isn't appropriate, but they can't ban you from, in your own free time and with your own money, purchasing these books if you have very disordered desires, I guess, and want to read about naked teenage boys, which is what Flamer is about. Uh, This seems to be an ongoing um, fight, I guess, across the nation between uh, parents and uh, and woke school officials uh, who are trying to push onto the children things that parents don't want them to hear right away. Uh, for example, all the stuff with this transgenderism, um, you know, that, that in my mind, and we've talked about this in the program many times, is a social contagion. It's something that kind of gets started in the schools with a group of students, and then all of a sudden everybody wants to be transgendered. Um, and then we get situations like happened, I guess, uh, uh, from the Colorado School District, where on a field trip, they actually assigned an 11-year-old girl to sleep with a trans girl who is actually a biological boy. Right. So Jefferson County Public Schools, which um, includes, like, the suburbs around uh, Denver, or they call Jeffco Public Schools, um, as you mentioned, they have this annual trip to D.C., and they had a fifth, they had these fifth-grade girls that were put in hotel rooms together, right, and at one point, one of the students said, well, you know, actually, I was, I was born male. Well, he's actually a male, right? But he, you know, identifies as female. Um, and, you know, the student kept asking, told her mom, who, who wasn't a chaperone, but she was, she had also traveled to D.C. And eventually, they ended up moving this, the actual female student who had complained. But they said, you know, don't say anything. This student's identity is in, you know, Self mode, and this is directly violating the rights of these girls to to have privacy. Um, you know, my wife went to Jeffco Public Schools. Uh, you know, not too long, only ten years ago, and, and you know, don't, she don't give her not, age away on the air. Right, <laughs> <Or> it, <laughs> right. Um, well, you know, you still got four years, one way or another, right? Fred? Right. Yeah, that's but, right. Um, <laughs> but uh, she was a teenage bride. We got that. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. And she said it was never this bad. I mean, you had teachers that, you know, maybe had liberal political views. I mean, that's fine. But it was never they were ne- they did abstinence education. They were never pushing any of this. Um, and, and and now it's gotten so bad. The, the school district did tell LifeSite um, uh, soon after the article came out that you know we work with a private group. They said we didn't know the student's transgender status. 
Um, but you know, we're, we're looking to, to look into it more, and they'll respond to Alliance Spending Freedom, which is a really great you know Christian legal nonprofit who's sort of representing these this parent, the parents and the daughter. Um, you know, we'll respond, which by December 18th is the next few days. Um, but yeah, I mean, the principal Ryan Lucas, you know, he, he said, "Well, keep this all quiet." It wouldn't have been that hard for them to deal with it because they simply could have put this student in his in his own room. And I understand if, if he's been presenting himself as a girl, I assume he must have been a transfer student or something that you know they didn't know that he had gone from being a girl to, or a boy pretending to be a girl. I understand you can't put him in a room with other boys because then that creates maybe more problems. But there is ways to deal with this without forcing a fifth-grade girl to sleep in a bed with a male, yeah. which is just it, completely it, inappropriate. It seems to me that they were uh, out to give more protection to this boy than they were to the girl that was being offended by it. You know, I remember several years ago, and I think the case came from Colorado someplace, the Pacific Justice Institute had a case where it was just in the on the when this epidemic was was beginning to fester, uh, where they had um, uh, some boys that or a boy that claimed to be a girl was masquerading as a girl, and uh, they took it to court, and the court said that the girls didn't have any rights in the matter, that the rights belonged to the boy to be able to do what he wanted to do. And now I don't know whatever happened to that case, whether it went up an appeal or anything. But I remember that seemed to be the first brush that we had in the legal system, that it was the uh, the transgender student that had to be protected over the interest of the straight student. Absolutely. You know, I have this theory that <clears throat> eventually liberals will just come around to whatever conservatives, traditional people have been saying for years, right? You you see these stories of, well, if we're going to ban abortion, then men need to stay with the women that they have kids with. All right. Yep. Marriage. Great yep. idea. Well, we agree. Was, some politician recently, when they were having some hearing about, you know, the, the, the transgender people, you know, changing the, the men, changing in women's locker rooms, he said, well, what if we built something like a separate sort of like room or closet for them to change in. Yep, yep, that's called a male locker room. You have the male mm-hmm. locker room for the men, and you have the women's locker room for the women. And then when everyone's wearing clothes, then they can go and go to gym class or go compete or whatever they're doing. Um, and so I think the more these stories come out, there will be more, you know, there will be more pushback. And eventually the law will have to confront this um, because, you know, this is, this is not just someone using their pronouns, which there's plenty of problems with that. This is a male sleeping in a bed with a female. I mean, even writing, trying to write the headline for this article, I felt disgusting because I was like, it, it sounds just, it sounds like that. I mean, it sounds disgusting even trying to like picture how this happened and how anyone could let this happen. Yeah, I think the big confrontation right now, though, is coming with a lot of angry moms. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, because... You know, uh, you know, people people like their privacy, um, and, and and these 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 women, these girls' privacy rights are being violated. Um, you know, the, the courts have consistently said that you can have sex-specific bathrooms, locker rooms, um, changing areas that does not violate 
um, Title IX or any other sort of protections for equality, equal protection under the law. Um, And in fact, as this, this ADF pointed out, if you're someone who identifies as transgender, you, under this policy, have a quote-unquote right to not be placed with someone of your actual gender, but opposite of what you, this is where all is confusing, of course. Right. If you're a male who identifies as a woman, you can't be forced to share a room with other male students. And maybe there's, you know, um, but they don't afford female students the same right to not be housed next to actual actual men. And so it's very much right now tilted in favor of transgender students, but, you know, I think there's a way to deal with this. And ultimately, these students who are transgender need counseling to, you know, live live a fulfilling life in their actual, actual sex. Yes, but as you know, in a lot of areas, that counseling is prohibited by law. Well, absolutely. Um, although it's, 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 it's a bit interesting because they'll ban, quote-unquote, conversion therapy, but that's actually what these transgender drugs and surgeries are. You're actually forcing <laughs> someone, you're, you're encouraging someone to, to identify as the other gender. And there's actually someone with uh, homosexual inclination who was encouraged to transition and is now suing, saying he was discriminated against because had they just treated him as a male interested in men, as someone with these inclinations and not as a female, they would have treated him differently. It all gets confusing, all to say, of course, we need prayer and we need to follow God's law and we need to stop uh, messing around with gender and, and marriage. That's right. Gina, did you have something? No, I just, uh, the schools have so many unique opportunities to do the right thing, and oftentimes they go off the rails, and we have plenty of examples on it in multiple shows throughout the programming. Um, I, especially, I know that your your publication is The College Fix. I, colleges are even, I mean, we, we went from preschool with the books, but the colleges are even um, taking a step further in terms of indoctrinating students. I mean, it just, it just rolls right into the uh, upper education levels. Well, absolutely. I mean, St. Mary's College in South Bend, um, you know, they... Oh, that one makes me sad. Yes. They're, they're letting men in. And, um, you know, the word is that the bishop has been meeting or had a meeting with the president uh, or leadership of the, univ- the college, I should say. Um, and, you know, we'll see. But he, Bishop Rhodes, you know, did speak out and he said, you know, this is not Catholic and you, you really should not be, you know, how, how, you know, you should have come to me and we, we, we need to talk about this. So we'll see. He seems to be taking the right steps to, to deal with it and we'll, we'll see what comes of it. Um, and uh, yeah, and then exactly like you said, it just goes all the way up. Forty percent of Brown University students now identify as LGBT, which I think 100 percent shows it's a social contagion. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. All right, tell us a little bit more about the college fix. We didn't uh, get into that earlier. So for those um, in our audience that don't know what the college fix is, why don't you explain that? Sure. So the collegefix.com, um, we train student journalists to report on the news. Um, we have a center-right perspective, but we, we try to get all sides of a story. We use primary source documents. Um, and basically, our goal is to report on higher education news, one, excuse me, and to uh, basically be, we're basically the farm team for conservative uh, as well as, you know, mainstream media. So 
training students who are interested in a job in journalism, media relations, think tanks. And so we do this through fellowships, um, you know, ongoing mentoring, a job bank, resume help, et cetera. Um, so if anyone's interested, if, you have, if, if you're a college student you're listening or you have a college student listening, anywhere on the sort of center-right, libertarian, conservative, neocon, traditionalist, whatever spectrum, you know, please go to thecollegefix.com and sign up to write for us. Um, and you can also read you know, our articles. We have articles written by students. Um, so this is really great. They're edited by myself and other professional editors. And then the editors write various stories throughout the day covering anti-Semitism on campus, free speech, pro-life, LGBT, a lot of those topics we talked about today and, and that are talked about on the show on a regular basis. Yeah. Uh, and I notice um, when I read some of the stuff that uh, your student journalists put up, it's very good. Thank you. We have a lot of great students from Franciscan University of Steubenville and elsewhere. But, um, yeah, we really try to get them, you know, so when they graduate, they've got a nice portfolio of published articles, and then they can go out into the world and, and make a difference with their reporting. Okay, so where was the college fix when I was graduating in journalism? That's right. Yeah. You didn't have that portfolio. didn't have that portfolio, so, which is why I'm, I suppose I'm here now. Here I, didn't, I, didn't have the, I didn't have the portfolio. But we appreciate what you're doing Matt, we appreciate your time uh, that you spent with us today, and uh, we wish you luck, and uh, anything else comes up, we'll have you back. Okay, thank you. Have a great Advent, and, and, and Merry Christmas to you. Thank oh, you. Same, you same to you. God bless you, Matt. All right. That was Matt Lamb from the College Fix, and we will be right back after these messages. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. And we're back. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. And we have with us right now Arthur Schopper, who is from Mass Resistance, an organization that, that does a lot of things, not necessarily uh, a filing suit, but does a lot of things with, I guess you'd say, Arthur, political pressure? That's correct. Political pressure, pressure local activism, organizing for results. All right. And Mass Resistance, I think, started in Massachusetts, but it's not just there anymore, is it? That is correct. We have chapters all over the United States, and we are working with people all over the world. Yeah, and and you, I think, are out in uh, California now. That is correct. We have How... researchers in the Midwest, and, of course, our main office is in Massachusetts. Right. As a good conservative, how are you faring out, out in the land of fruit and nuts there, with the political climate as it is in California? Well, it's interesting. We're seeing some considerable successes on the pro-family front in spite of the vile lunacy coming out of Sacramento. One of our, one of our recent reports was our group. We have a group in San Mateo County, which is just south of San Francisco. They took over a Drag Queen Story Hour event in Redwood City. They showed up in the front rows. They put up signs. And their presence forced the drag queen uh, group to bring in a woman, and he and she read a very tame story rather than pushing perversion on the kids. So even in blue sections of a very blue state, we can be very successful. We also are working with act- activists in New York State. We have a group in Minnesota that is taking the lead to get rid of obscene materials and local school districts, red state or blue, we are making a difference to push back on perversion. You know, it, it seems interesting to me as a lawyer how you can get something done right at 
that moment that would have taken a, a lawsuit and several years to resolve? Yes, lawsuits are necessary for changing laws or holding institutions accountable over a long period of time. But if you really want to change the culture, if you want to have an immediate impact that has a lasting impression on local residents and encourages people, you've got to do in-your-face activism. And besides, I mean, sadly, you look at the results of the repeal of Roe versus Wade, there is still, sadly, a section of the culture, perhaps larger than we anticipated, that thinks it's okay to kill a baby just because it's still within the mother's womb. There needs to be a change of hearts and minds. There needs to be a confrontation against the abuses of the state and of private institutions, which want to normalize LGBT perversion. It's on-the-ground, grassroots activism, which really makes the difference, that makes the change. And that's what mass resistance is invested in. Well, Arthur, you're singing my song, so thank you for expressing that uh, viewpoint. You know, it's fighting fire with fire. Most of these cultural changes uh, occur, these deviated cultural occurrences occur because of the activism of the those communities and uh, giving them some of their own medicine. Especially angry mothers. Well, no, yeah, the, the reverse, of, the, yeah. the fight against it is yeah. is the, the loud activist voice. And I love what mass resistance has been able to accomplish with that methodology. Yes, and we are really keen taking the organizing principles of the left and then using them against the left. But it's also... Unlike a lot of other pro-family organizations, mass resistance, we understand the level of vile, evil vitriol that we're dealing with. And this is something I think a lot of conservatives still just don't understand. We're dealing with a really robust, hateful movement motivated by this crass, even satanic cultural Marxism. There is an abject hatred towards anything normal, anything healthy, anything right. And we have to go after the people who are pushing this, not just the government and not just uh, not just people who they seem to be in power, but they're propped up by these perverse, aggressive, violent activists. This We have to really understand the face of the evil here and not hold back in taking them down for promoting all this perversity. Well, the penalty for holding back is that you get canceled eventually, and then uh, you're kind of... Uh a non-person anymore. Yes, there's the, the issue with cancel culture is that people are already limiting their outrage. They they hold back, they pull their punches, they want to restrain speaking out on these issues and what is the result? They are they show themselves to be easily intimidated, but what what mass resistance has found is that when you speak boldly and clearly about what you expect and don't hold back, you end up scaring them. A lot of these leftists are cowards. They're soy boys. They're a bunch of useless, listless millennials or Gen Z types that still live in their mommy's basement and don't don't have much to look forward to in their lives. But when you take that first step towards the fire, so to speak, and push back on them, a lot of them just cave and collapse. That's been our experience time and again. 
this is a lesson, sadly, that a lot of conservatives still aren't learning. They keep thinking that the easier, softer way is the better way to go. They think that moderating or going for middle ground or not asking for everything to be restored is the most successful means. And to give you an example, we have a great team in Kenosha, Wisconsin. They have gone scorched earth against every liberal interest in Kenosha County that defends pornography, perversion, and predatory material in the local libraries, excuse me, the local school district, they have successfully removed obscene materials already, and they're doubling down to do more. But they also expressly call out individuals, and they hold them and shame them accountable for promoting pornography, perversion, LGBT indoctrination on children. And what can I say? That's not a subtle or a civil way of confronting anything, but it has to be done. This is a key, key point that we want to press upon people. You have to, I mean, to quote Ben Shapiro, you have to punch back twice as hard. Right. And that's something we and we excel at. And, and you've had a lot of success. I, I'm looking at some of the things that was on your website recently. And one story that intrigued me was a, uh, a school district, and I don't uh, see where it was, uh, removed a counselor who was a trans activist. This was a this was a big victory for Tracy Shannon. She's our Texas director. She has been an outspoken, aggressive leader and activist going after the Humble School District. She has gotten obscene materials removed from that school district. She has exposed some of these corrupt staff members who indoctrinate, abuse, groom children, and they gaslight the parents and the general adult population into accepting these perversions. There's no such thing as trans care. What it is is trans abuse. We've got to restore the truth of the matter when we discuss this. And her success speaks to another larger strategy that mass resistance relies on. We're not just interested in removing obscene materials. We've got to fire these people. We need the doctors who mutilate kids to lose their licenses. We need the trained staff at school districts and libraries to be chased out of these industries, these professions entirely. They have no business being around children. They have no business being in any position of authority normalizing this homosexual and transgender smut on children. And a lot of other pro-family groups, they just kind of want to tinker around the edges, change a few laws, change a few rules, and remove some bad stuff. But it's these ideologues that are working their way into these different levers of government or systems of bureaucracy that are pushing all this perversion. So we're really grateful for what Tracy has been doing and continues to do. Tracy Shannon also should be recognized. She's worked very hard with the state legislature, with with activists throughout the state to get key legislation passed. She was instrumental in, in actually banning the sex mutilation of minors in Texas. That was a huge lift. They'd been working on this for the last six years. Uh, there's more news coming out. A lot of these legislatures, on the surface, they seem conservative, but they're surrounded by liberals who run as Republicans and vote as the liberals once they get in office. So there's been a much more concentrated effort to expose the bad le- legislators and get good bills passed. So she's been instrumental in that in Texas. Our team has done great. Our teams, rather, have done great work in Montana, Idaho. We've been working in Wyoming. We've been doing stuff 
throughout the in Florida, my goodness, we were we've been working with people to get one local and county library after another to disaffiliate from the American Library Association. So these are just considerable victories that we keep piling on. I have a growing sense of hope that more people are starting to realize that just like with Alex Jones, who's now been reinstated to large social media platforms, all the stuff he was warning about, surveillance state, medical tyranny, et cetera, it's come to pass. Well, even before that, mass resistance, we were signing, we were sounding the alarm on this whole normalization and promotion of homosexuality and transgenderism, that these perversions were going to become pervasive and destructive and tyrannical. Well, many of the libertarian-leaning and liberal Republicans and even independents and Democrats have recognized we were right, we were correct. Redefining marriage was not going to be a benign eccentricity, and that's Brian Kamaker's own words in a documentary we put together about what gay marriage did to Massachusetts. So more parents, more citizens, more of the general public recognizes that LGBT is an onslaught of cultural Marxist destruction, and it needs to be stopped. It needs to be destroyed. It needs to be defeated. And part, a fundamental part of this is recognizing that the behaviors are not innate. They are acquired due to trauma, abuse, neglect, confusion, molestation. We have a great book that we've published, The Health Hazards of Homosexuality, and we provide that to numerous readers and authorities throughout the world not just in the United States. We've even had, we worked with activists in the Cayman Islands. Uh, Last year, we were able to report on a considerable victory at the legal and local level to stop the promotion of same-sex, quote-unquote, marriage. And the, our volume, the Health Hazards book, has been readily available in other countries. One of our activists, activists there in the Cayman Islands informed us about this. So we're seeing some real momentum on our side to fight this whole perversion. So, Arthur, I'm intrigued by the whole um, work that you do in the schools in calling out, naming the individuals and educators and administrators that are promoting this um, obscene material on our children. Yes. I'm assuming you work with parents, and when I think about that, I wonder how much of your work intersects with these FBI investigations on people, uh, parents in the schools. You know, we've... We've been working with people in Wyoming, uh, Campbell County specifically. We've had considerable success there in northeastern Wyoming, and we have another chapter we're working with in Fremont County. And the previous library director and staff, they actually filed complaints with the Department of Justice against our parents because they were speaking out against all these perverse issues and perverse materials uh, in the library. There was a a confused man pretending to be a woman. This was two years ago. He wanted to give a magic show at the local library. And the Campbell County, our our chapter, took to the streets and protested big time. And the event was canceled. So, and, And as always, LGBT activists, they will cry victim, and they'll say that they're canceling an event because they fear for their safety. I mean, what outrageous dishonor. I mean, the gaslighting. Give me a break. If anybody's in danger, it's the children being groomed and abused by these confused, corrupted people with sexual problems, insisting on flaunting them in front of everybody. And for the record, the FBI even came to my house two years ago trying to harass me regarding the January 6th incident. incident. Uh, But 
you know, my resolve was very simple. I threw him out immediately. I said, get out. I'm not talking to you. <laughs> uh, this kind of this surveillance state abuse. By the way, we've documented this extensively. The FBI, CIA, many of these alphabet agencies in Washington are suffused with LGBT perversion. They celebrate Pride Month. They celebrate LGBT diversity. They, they celebrate hiring sexual deviance under the guise of civil rights and diversity as well. We've exposed this problem extensively. So it's no surprise that we're on their radar as well. Yeah, we, we know what the FBI is doing. We've had on a FBI whistleblower to talk about some of these things. I have one question for you before I turn you back to Gina. Um, it seems to me, now we've been on the air here uh, with this program about 10, 11 years now, and it seems to me that uh, mass resistance was kind of on our radar uh, for quite a long time. So I'm wondering here, when did mass resistance first start? When was it established? Okay, 1993. Wow. Brian Kamaker working with parents in Newton, Massachusetts. And Newton was a very liberal town even 30 years ago. The school district was pushing anal sex, oral sex, all kinds of sexual perversion. Uh, they were even teaching about so-called white privilege, all of these corruptions that are spewing out of the universities and infecting public schools across the country today. This was happening in Massachusetts 30 years ago. Brian and his activist colleague parents, they began confronting the school board. They demanded the removal of these perverse sex ed curricula. The, vo the volatile the vehement attack that he received from the LGBT movement was what really shocked him. He wasn't prepared or didn't realize how determined they were to push this perversion. Rather than intimidating him and the other parents, they doubled down on their efforts to protect children from this perversion. They succeeded in getting a student opt-out law passed in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. This was in 1996, I believe. And keep in mind that even then it was a very liberal state controlled by the Democrat Party in both chambers. And I believe Kim River was a Republican. Well, even if it was a Republican governor, it was a very liberal governor. None of them wanted to do it, but they were forced to concede and they got the law passed. And it's still on the books to this day in the Commonwealth. Very good. <clears throat> I noticed in these stories that um, Deacon Mike shared with me this morning, um, that were on the website for mass resistance is about a teacher who was able to um, file a lawsuit for millions of dollars for exposing to the parents, sharing with the parents, being truthful with the parents about their child's um, transition or name change in the school. And the school fired her, and she's filing a $10 million lawsuit against the teachers, Can you, or against the school. Can you give us more behind that story? Absolutely. Thanks for bringing that up. Ludlow, Massachusetts is... I mean, it's hard to believe, but even in Massachusetts, there are there are towns and communities that are more common sense than Boston. And Ludlow is one of them. It's a very tightly knit community. Everybody kind of knows everybody. And there was a lot of support for this wonderful teacher, Bonnie Manchester. Our, our organization, we wrote considerable research and, uh, and reporting on this when everybody else had pretty much ignored them. And, uh, Bonnie Manchester didn't get a lot of attention. She was a, she's a brave woman who refused to hide from the parents the systemic abuse being perpetrated by the superintendent, by the principal. This was at Baird Middle School specifically, and even a creepy librarian who was a woman pretending to be a man. Uh, this is uh, 
Jordan Funk um, is her name. And because of our repeated exposure and local activism in the community, the superintendent quit, the principal was reassigned, and the librarian resigned as well. Now, they still fired her. It was it was completely unjust. It's a violation of the local ordinances, even state law. There's nothing in state law that requires a teacher to withhold uh, essential information from parents, especially of this magnitude. Uh, it was shocking. You had the you had the librarian was inducing kids to having false identities, pretending to be uh, the opposite sex. Uh, the students even entered into so-called suicide pacts with each other that the school was aware of and made no made no effort to inform the parents to stop this. And this is how bad it's getting. And sadly, this is stuff that's happening all over the country. But you get a very concentrated example of this there in Ludlow, Massachusetts. And even to this day, we're the only ones, mass, mass resistance, we're the only ones talking about what Bonnie Ma- Manchester went through and what she is still doing to fight back against this abuse. She has a great attorney, and she has a very strong case. I think the attorney is a former U.S. attorney, was he not? That is correct. I believe he was appointed under the Reagan administration, yes. too. Yeah, so he should know his way around a federal courtroom. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that's that's important now more than ever with the corruption that's happening. I, I, I hope you don't mind if I depart somewhat. There's just some other things your your audience should know about. You've mentioned Go the difficulties minutes. of living in a blue state. We've had other successes in California. We worked with a parent uh, to get rid of uh, obscene materials that were part of a virtual academy, a charter school that operates predominantly online. We were helping this parent and other active parents to push back on these obscene materials, and we're still working with those parents. Uh, In New Hampshire, another liberal state, we shut down a Drag Queen Story Hour program before it took place. Uh, We've also been influential here in California dealing with local school districts having so-called well-being centers. We're still going after school districts to get those shut down, but we're getting momentum and support from local Catholic churches. The priests, the supervising fathers in those parishes are assisting us openly in this matter. And not once, but twice, we've had considerable success in the United Kingdom, where we were able to get LGBT flags removed from throughout Oxford University. And we were instrumental in stopping the conversion therapy ban effort, which was a key platform goal of the ruling Tory government. They had they had affirmed every year through the Queen and then the King's speech. Well, the Queen, when she was alive, delivered the goals of Parliament, and it always included banning so-called conversion therapy. But our activists in the United Kingdom worked very hard, went after members of Parliament, sounded the alarm about this, and that effort's been scuttled. And that's a big win for that us. That is a We're big win. We're very excited about that. Yeah. Congratulations. All right. Now, if somebody in our listening area has a problem with a school or a library or something like that, uh, how do they contact you and what might you be able to do about it? Certainly. I first encourage people to visit our website, massresistance.org. It's just mass and resistance, put the words together, .org. They can also contact me directly. My phone number is public, 781-474-3005, 781-474-3005. My email address is arthur at massresistance.org, A-R-T-H-U-R at 
massresistance.org. I encourage everyone to reach out to me whatever way they can. We are working with people in Iowa here and there. We've done some stuff in the legislature, and we were happy to see some results. Uh, Kim Reynolds, Governor Reynolds, has done some great work, especially going after obscene materials and protecting kids from mutilation. We really want to celebrate. I can't remember the lawmaker right now, but he introduced a bill to end same-sex marriage. We want every legislator in the country to do this. That's the courage we're looking for. We're going to help every way we can to stop this travesty. Two men cannot be married. Children need their mom and dad. And a public culture and a public health order cannot be sustained when sexual perversion is normalized. We're thinking big. Mass resistance wants to restore everything. That's our goal. Very good. Well, and we're just about out of time now, so you wrapped it up just nicely for us. Arthur, I want to thank you for being with us today and for letting us know what is going on with mass resistance. And you get any uh, uh, any information about any of those Iowa matters, uh, drop me a line. Uh, we'd like to follow up on it and bring that to everybody's attention that we can. I certainly will, Dinkin. Thank you very much for your time. And thank you for joining us. God bless you and your work, and we wish you much success. And we hope you have a, a very Merry Christmas and a very blessed New Year. Thank you. Thank you. Certainly. And Gene and I will be right back to wrap up right after these messages. Then we're back, and you're still listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. Wow. Gina, what a show. People are doing some really good work in That's this right. That gives me hope that, you know, all is not lost, for sure. I think um, people of faith can can take solace in knowing that, they're, th- that they, their continued prayers are important and their activism is equally important. And it's interesting that the connection between the two guests here. Well, the, we have we have one that is training student journalists in right. in truth and in and laying out the truth, and the other is uh, an an activist that is willing to take the argument right to the opponent, right, and 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 call them out on it. And and they're both looking to protect children. Right. You know, they're our future, and it's important for them to understand truth and light, and not be emotionally and psychologically destroyed by this garbage that we uh, continue to spew in our schools. And garbage is the right word. Yeah. You know, th- th- there's there's something interesting that's going on here. During COVID, as bad as COVID was, it did one thing. It opened up our eyes to what is going on in the schools. And people, mothers and fathers, started watching what the lesson plans were for their kids that were tied into doing this all online. And there became an awareness of what was happening. And the same way with what is going on in Israel right now, with the reaction to that is kind of opening up everybody's eyes to what is truly the problem out there, what is truly anti-Semitism and what is truly going on. And it seems like we're in a position right now where that pendulum may be swinging back our way a little bit because of the reaction to these two horrible things. COVID was a horrible thing, but something good came out of it. That war in Israel, uh, especially with Hamas's attack, was a terrible thing. But we're seeing certain lessons come from that. And hopefully people will learn from this. You know, you 
you uh, how do they say you, uh, you can't uh, uh, ignore history or you end up repeating it right and exactly so, yeah and I don't think enough people are understand history or have learned from past uh, experiences on earth in different ways that continually repeat themselves yeah. Uh, I think that one of the beautiful things of both of our guests today is that the, uh, what they talk about does not conflict with our Catholic values. You know, it really is uh, the, uh, the our Catholic values are the foundations for a lot of the work that both the College Fix is doing and, and mass resistance. Neither are Catholic organizations, but there's not a lot of conflict with what we we as Catholics believe. Right, right. Um, I have a, a legal question. So our very, very first story with um, the college fix was about the school board member in Pennsylvania who uh, took her oath on a stack of pornography for, as, a, as a description for what she did. Uh, does that oath still hold? And yeah, do we does. need a Bible? How no. does that work, Deacon no, I, I, I legally? Think, yeah, legally, I don't think it matters who you, what you put your hand on or if you put your hand in anything. You take the oath. You raise your hand and you swear that you're going to defend uh, the Constitution and the, the state Constitution. and the So the oath is more important so the than oath is what more you're placing your hand Right. On. I think putting your hand on a Bible has been more symbolic over the years than anything else. And you find out presidents, for example, uh, when they take the oath of office, sometimes that Bible is open to a favorite passage that they have. Interesting. In that. And sometimes there's more than one Bible. You know, they, they have uh, uh, the, their grandfather's Bible and then their mother's Bible, and they stack them up and say the, uh, say the oath on both of them. But it's more symbolic than that. It's the, it's the oath. It's the words they agree to that is important. And they don't use the Bible any longer in courtrooms for— um, I've not to, seen it. Yeah. No, I've not seen but it. But that was a thing at that one point in thing. this country. That was a it's, thing. Um, Pledging your oath. The, 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 the problem with that, as far as the secularists out there, is that that narrows you down to one faith, basically Christianity. You know, suppose somebody wanted to come in and take their oath on the Torah. Sure. Or take their oath on the Quran. And I've heard you know, that been done. And too. it's been done. Uh, I'm surprised that this person would take their oath on pornography. <laughs> but if that's what means something to them, then... That says a lot about says the a lot about that running person. that particular school board. That, yes, that's right. All right, we're pretty much out of time now. Unless you have any more questions, no that. <laughs> legal questions. And, uh, so let's uh, let's end with our, our defender's prayer here. Say, Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him. We humbly pray and do that, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Amen. And that's it for today. You want to thank everybody who showed up at our dinner uh, last Friday night. You can still make a contribution to the program by calling us at 515-223-1150 or go to our uh, website, iowacatholicradio.com. And while you're there, check out our podcast. That's it for today. We'll see you again next time. In the meantime, go to church and take your kids. Our freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. Faith on Trial with Defender of the Faith, Deacon Mike Mano. 
Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio, iowacatholicradio.com, and the Iowa Catholic Radio app. Support for Faith on Trial and Iowa Catholic Radio provided in part by Imaging Ingredients.